When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oppenheimer jumps over the fence, then Barbie is next to it. He keeps on going, and Barbie, Barbie, it's Barbie running down the finish line. Ten lengths, eight lengths, six lengths, and Oppenheimer's catching up. Can he make it? It's a photo finish, and Barbie wins the box office draw. I can see why you never made it as a horse racing caller. Well, my friend is one, so that's all right. I I don't need to Right, right. And do you do that impression for them, in front of them? Or... No, because that would be, I'd I'd get a coon chip if I did. Um, so no, <laughs> I don't. Um, so welcome to Played in Full. Um, this I am your host CJ Edwards, and this week I am joined by three of my co-hosts, and we will be talking about the film. That is your warning. Welcome to Played in Full. I am your host, CJ Edwards, and this week we are going to be talking about Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan's latest epic war slash drama slash biopic film. And we're going to talk about what we thought, what our expectations were before the movie, where this leaves Christopher Nolan's legacy, where we would rank it, and what is next for him. So... Before I go to the biggest pagan of the day, and he's looking at me like I'm a psychopath, uh, I'm going to go to my top left, which is, is that boy Scullivan? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You know, another exciting episode of Played in Full. I'm feeling lively. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling, you know, very warm, very happy to be here. I was actually very happy. This is the, actually, that's a lie. I was really angry. This is the first time we're recording this. I was I was fuming. Um yeah, CJ, that intro was hilarious because you was defo sounding like some sort of AI. Yeah. Oh, was I? <laughs> Mad. Yeah. Well, oh, now nah, yeah. you know what? Last week you like said I was sounding AI version, yeah. Like AI. And it was perfectly fine. So hopefully it does the same thing. Okay. Shout out to technology. It, sound, it, sounded like, it sounded like he was halfway connecting to the Matrix. You know, when they plug in Neo, that sound. <laughs> nah, <laughs> you know like, no Lucy, when, he starts, when she starts turning into the USB. <laughs> CJ. USB CJ. Um, nah, uh, this, for the listeners, this is our first time trying to start this podcast. And I was really angry earlier. But, you know, I'm coming with a new energy, a fresh energy. Good vibes. Did you manage to watch the pool guy in between? Can you shut the... F- he makes a good point he makes a very good point oh yeah i'm i'm jude 
yeah, one of the co-hosts. And yeah, man, I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm just we had a beautiful a beautiful day at cinema, obviously. Like um watched Oppenheimer first and I'm really excited to talk about this film today. Barbenheimer Day seems so far away. It was all good just a week ago. Yeah. I actually look, liked even you the weather, like eight days ago. Even the weather. Look at the weather now. Look at, like, it It felt It felt like a holiday. You know what I mean? It felt like a different it did. mode of life. But now we're just in this drizzly, depressing. But it feels like a right day to talk about Oppenheimer, actually. What, what happened? Wait, hold on. Why are you saying that? What do you know that I don't? I'm just saying, like, the weather is depressing. Okay, like, cool, cool, like, cool. We, if, you, if you say it's a good day to talk about the atomic bomb, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting a bit well, worried. Well, there's a few events, like, over the week. Like, um, specifically, remember the the announcement from, like, uh, I forgot what uh, company it was, but the uh, the American Congress and how they were talking about, like, the unidentified like aircrafts like the ufos i forgot the new abbreviation of ufos uaps no idea i think they're uaps and um i know but i'm fucking with them aliens bro i think it's so fascinating how they've just potentially announced something that can change how we view civilization itself like we're in we're basically in a new information era and they, they, I listened to a podcast today, the BBC World Service, and when they were talking about this, um, they said that there's been extensive works to reverse engineer like the aircrafts and stuff, and obviously like take a look at the specimens that they did find. So, who knows? Like maybe in like six months to a year's time or a couple of years time, they'll probably have a grasp on this type of technology and be able to maybe trace back to where it comes from. So, in a weird way, it relates to Oppenheimer, you know, in the sense of it being. I just feel like, I just feel like the economy is crashed, or crashing. You know, everything's really expensive. People don't have places to live or food to eat. I couldn't give a toss about an alien, man. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they will bring us something good, man. We've been on a as as a civilization, as a planet, we've been taking L's for like it feels like three years since covid hit mm. like you know maybe maybe the aliens will bring something new i was taking hours before that as well one of them <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry sorry hipster cj i didn't know you're the first one to take hours sorry bro <laughs> i just had to put no, but i actually agree with you scully like 100 i fully agree we bring a new type of conversation anyway maybe new maybe new illnesses new stds who knows new forms oh, of racism amazing. Amazing! Awesome. Oh my God! We this oh, is a hell guys, of an intro, guys. We won't well, be uh, we won't be the marginalized anymore. Imagine that. Like you never know, the aliens could come here and they could link up the <laughs> yeah, caucus, I, and you know, could be more. twice as much racism. Uh, and on that note, I think we should intro Ross. <laughs> That's outrageous. That is absolute bullshit. What do you That's crazy. That is crazy. Call me Judas. I prefer the Judas intro. I don't want this one. This is bullshit. <laughs> Who is it going to be, mean, bro? Us or the aliens? You know what's going to be crazy, yeah? You're saying that, CJ, but it's just going to end up like Bright. 
We're just going to be like bright, bright on Netflix. I can't believe you get bright still... at the time of day, personally. No, no, honestly. That's that was how all right, up. you know. It was overheating, I'm not going to lie. Mm. It was all right, man. It was you look like Power Rangers I... SPD on Steads. That's why I didn't watch it. Personally... It's going to be like District 9. We were talking, well, yeah, we were talking about Grand Trisma before. Neil Blomkamp. It's going to be like District 9. Exactly. Fucking prawns coming down. And then everyone's <laughs> going to hate him. Cool. <laughs> to be honest, yeah, there's no cap, but there's actually no room for the prawns. Or aliens, whatever. <laughs> Let me not start calling them something that feels like a slur. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, like I mean that prawns. feels like... <laughs> I mean, that now this is... I mean, I'm glad that you're, you two are saying fuck the prawns, because now yeah, I feel no, better about myself. No, nah, but I'm just saying there's no, there's no room for us down here, yeah? There's no affordable housing yeah, for us. Yeah, we're overcrowded still. We're overcrowded Secret still. Secret invasion all over again. And Jude's going to be like Nick Fury and try to get some scrussy. And Scully's going to be like... <laughs> Scully, Scully's, Scully's going to be like Rhodey. Like, he's going he's gonna to have not been him for years. Wow. <laughs> That is so crazy. crazy. Huh? <laughs> shout out to our new overlords. Oh man. Get down or lay down. Bitch. Oh man. We love you just gave me PTSD by the way, Scully. Why? Because uh, Scrissy, you made me indirectly think about Secret Invasion. I've just trying been trying to not think about I mean it. I'm sure we're going to have to talk about that in one episode we'll do, we'll do a hijack have, I'm going to have to watch it, it. I'm going to have to watch it fucking hell it don't take long to watch we'll do a hijack no one know but I don't want hijack to. secret invasion double billing in two weeks but but for now let's get into um, let's get into Oppenheimer CJ <laughs> you know you'll need it right <laughs> <laughs> on my phone sorry so uh two weeks ago we went to watch Oppenheimer and Barbie Ross went to watch it before on Friday we went on Sunday um but you know we're not hurt about it or anything um <laughs> he said he'd do it. he said he'd do it all again which I, I respect um I but yeah just can we all give one point and just one point because I know we love over talking myself included on this podcast um about what we expected from the film I'm going to start with you Jude before the release, what Thank we expected you. before the release. Thank you. I'm a chronic over talker, so I'll keep it short. I simply expected another Nolan masterpiece, and I expected Killian Murphy to add to that masterpiece and for this to be probably like a, his best work so far. And I feel like in terms of acting display, it really expressed a full, almost a full range of his acting ability and skill mm. and what I've seen so far of his career. So yeah, that was okay. my expectation. That's cool. Uh, Scotty, I'm going to go with you. I expected the profile of a tortured genius who was filled with regret and remorse and wallowed in self-pity and self-loathing for the rest of his days as he wandered the earth. Cool. And that was very dark. Um, and then, Ross, we'll go to you. I just expected something just epic. Just not mm-hmm. only, obviously, in terms of kind of like visuals and score, yeah. 
yeah. but just on the scale of kind of everything. And I guess that kind of ties into what Jude and Scully have talked about. But yeah, so something just epic and kind of existential and depressing and, you know, shocking. Cool. Well, what I expected going into it, I expected a bounce back. And I, although I like Tenet, ten, Tenant, a lot of people didn't. Um, and I expected Nolan to be like, okay, you didn't like this. Cool. Watch the next one I make. And I expected it to be, I was gassing it up for about a year saying it's going to be the best film ever. Like I, I just, everything about it, everything what I already knew of uh, Robert Oppenheimer and everything that I thought Nolan could do, I thought this is going to be sensational. Like it can't miss. Um, yeah. So I just thought it was going to be like a bounce back uh, from it. So um, obviously we all watched the film so much earlier than others. Um, and uh, when we went to in the film, um, we went to um, BFI IMAX, watched it in 70mm. That's the only way to watch it, people, by the way. If you don't watch it in like that, there is literally no point. I just literally not. I, I don't think there's a point. Um, some people, you know, somewhere in the world, yeah. Go on. And fair enough if this is your only mode, but somebody who can make it into a cinema is going to illegally download it and watch it on their phone on a. Oh my god! Six, and they're gonna seven, they're gonna pull it on Twitter. Oh, that's what I was exactly was gonna oh. just say right now. Someone's gonna watch it on Twitter over the course of a day. Like, and then they're going to say shit. Oh, yeah, there's not a problem. And say shit. Cam, cam gonna riff as well, not even HD. Fucking hell. Terrible aspect ratio. Fucking hell. Anyway, um, yeah. So, if what, you, what, can I just say this? If you, have the, if you have the capacity or the power to watch a movie via Twitter on your phone or even on your laptop, you have the capacity to be a terrorist. <laughs> Continue. I mean, I mean, I want I'm you to expand, but I don't. I'm not mad at that take. But I don't. I don't want you to expand. Just, just, just keep that there. Just keep that there. You're cooking on slow heat, though. Um. So, what did kind of you guys like about the film? Um, to start with, I'm going to start with you, Russ, because you know you watched it first. Yeah, as someone who's seen it twice, no regrets. Um, I think. I, I mean. Uh, yeah. I think this is my opinion, probably slightly different from you from the conversations that kind of we've had. I think it's Christopher Nolan's best film. I think it's kind of just a culmination of all the kind of tools and talents that he's kind of showcased throughout his kind of filmography. And I think it's just all culminated here together in like, I think just a perfect film. I think it's, you know, it's visually impressive. It's probably the film that I think has got the best performances and he's kind of directing the best performances across like a massive cast as well. Like we know that kind of, he can basically get any actor he wants and all of his films now have these huge ensembles. But I think this is one of the first films where I think nearly every single person in that ensemble is delivering kind of like a masterclass performance. Even people who you would never expect like David Cromholtz kind of, you know, most people are going to know him from the Santa Claus films. And here he is kind of delivering something kind of like with nuance and surprisingly kind of like effective tone. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's just an incredible piece of cinema. I think it's just, you know, it's powerful. It's impressive. I think the way he's kind of handled everything is very kind of mature and also kind of like very thoughtful and insightful. Um, Maybe we, you know, I don't want to go perhaps too much into it because we'll probably kind of talk a bit more. 
but you know like those scenes after kind of like the trinity test where you know you start to kind of understand oppenheimer's guilt and regret they're terrifying those scenes and actually like the kind of whole use of sound and visuals and editing just it does a really amazing job of first of all kind of like building this spectacle and kind of building it up to like this crescendo and then suddenly let releasing all that energy into something that's a little bit more terrifying and that final hour i know everyone kind of like has a bit of a wind jack because they think it kind of you know is it a little bit of a uh, anti-climax once you kind of have that trinity test scene but i think that final hour is gripping stuff and I know you say that I didn't seem to have any emotions in the second time I saw it, but you know, like both times I actually kind of sat there holding my breath because actually is just so intense. I can well, that's vouch a, that's for, a, I can that's vouch a, for him. Yeah. Yeah. That's a phenomenal analysis, by the way. Um, I like everything you said. I don't agree with everything you said. Thank you. But phenomenal analysis, and I just wanted to give you your props. Um, go on, G, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, I can vouch for him there. I did see that anticipation, especially in the last hour of the film. But yeah, I totally agree. I feel like this is a masterpiece. And I've been thinking about this. I I, I might actually say this, or agree with you, Rather Ross, that this is the best Nolan film, like in totality, in when I think of all aspects covered, I think, yeah, this is such a mighty film and maybe I need to watch it a second time to reaffirm this. But what I really like about a film like this is the impression that it can make in a moral sense, in a sense of imprinting the character into our minds and the consciousness of society. And the big moral argument here and the timeliness of this film and the whole spectacle of it, I feel like it makes it that much more bigger than it is. But probably the thing that fascinates me most about it is the moral appeal behind like the astrophysics and even the invitation to understand the world of physics and the scientific questions behind it and the impulses that these physicists have in order to kind of like exist in society and try to move society forward just through their thinking so yeah like it it impressed me in so many different ways but i think yeah i do need like a second a second viewing to kind of confirm where i rank it in my like nolan's you know all timers i don't think I don't think it's in my personal top three Nolans. Harsh to, to preface my analysis with that. But what I will say is I do think that I agree this is a film that hinges very much on the quality of acting within it. And I think in terms of acting performances, this is easily the top one. Like in terms of that aspect, everybody acted the hell out of this film and portrayed so many so many aspects and so many sometimes seemingly asinine things which all led to a totality of a actually really heavy like grandiose subject in such a intense way 
Like it was, it was a masterpiece in terms of just straight acting. I do feel that the things that I love Nolan for, and I think that is actually purposely why he did this film. I think it was intentional. I think Nolan is known to attack his directing by doing ambitious things with, for example, stunts when you look at Inception and Tenet and like having moments that are hard to track, like Memento and all of this. Like he's he's an incredible director. And I don't think that that is anything you can bludgeon this film with. I think in totality, the score, the way things look, the way he shows certain things within it, it's a film that you can't find any fault with. It is ultimately one of the best films of the year. And it's definitely one that people are going to remember when they think of kind of this decade of cinema and this kind of cinematic renaissance that we're having right now. Yeah. I think it's embedded itself in in culture, especially, again, as I said, like the spectacle of it. Barbenheimer is an event. I feel like we're going to see copycats of this event, but we're going to refer to it as a Barbenheimer type of event. And, um, yeah, when you think bomb, I think Oppenheimer is going to exist alongside that because atom bomb or hydrogen bomb, we would normally think of Nagasaki, Hiroshima. But, yeah, just the imprint and the idea of Oppenheimer and the character and the history of it, I feel like it adds that much more weight to it as well. And maybe I also thought that Nolan probably... Well, he's the type of person I think that would make a film about anything that interests him. But this feels like a film where he kind of wanted to make that moral statement. And I feel like that's what is such a... Because it's it's probably not marketed in that way where it's trying to make that, but it wants you to understand the gravity of the situation at hand. And I think that definitely adds something to the film as well. Okay. I think that's why the back end of that of the film is so important, though, right? Because mm-hmm. some people don't like it. They think as soon as you kind of do that Trinity test, because that whole Trinity over. test is an, is an incredible, you know, moment. It's really kind of intense. It's suspenseful, and then you kind of get that moment where they test the bomb. It goes off, and you have that kind of like flash of light, and then everyone's kind of reaction, and then you get hit with that sound, which in that BFI IMAX scared the shit out of me. You know, I knew it was coming and I still kind of like it was jumping out of my seat because it's just so loud and so like forceful. Um, mm-hmm. But you need that final hour. You need that kind of yep. moment. And, you know, I think really Nolan would say that film isn't about the Trinity test. That is the centerpiece. And that looks like the thing that's, you know, going to grip everyone and everyone's going to really remember and take away from it. But actually, it's the final hour that's the important thing. The bit where he is having that kind of, you know, th- that regret. In, it's also important to note that in real life and in the film, he never kind of actually says it was a mistake. He never apologizes. He never expresses any guilt. He never says it was the wrong thing. But I think the the whole point is, is that through the way Nolan interprets kind of, I guess, that story in his kind of biography, it's his policy after that and the way he kind of tries to treat um, like the arms race and actually trying to kind of keep... Uh, nuclear weapons from kind of expanding further that's what i think the kind of the key takeaway is is actually 
this is potentially the end of the world. This is the most important thing that's probably happened to humanity. And you need that whole courtroom drama to play out to really understand the gravity of the situation. 100%, I agree. Um, just to speak on the bomb going off, I when they, were te- when they were testing it, obviously they did a little test. And I turned to Scully and I said, yo, I said, bro, that little bomb was so fucking loud. I said, when the big one goes off, I'm doing, like, I covered my ears and, you know, it's funny, like, obviously, the, the, your heart's racing when he's, like, looking through the lens and he's seeing the bomb go off. And obviously, you don't hear anything. So I'm there, like, covering my ears, waiting for it. And I'm like, oh, nothing's happened. And then, like, I'm watching it, watching it, watching it, and I'm thinking, fuck, you need to cover your ears back. Bro, I covered my, I covered them just in time and it still was deafening. Um, but what I will say is, I think, yeah, the... The last hour, I think, is so needed, man. I think, like, it's about the what now. And I feel like that that is what Killian Murphy's portraying, like, throughout the end of the film. Like, he's like, okay, this was my, this is the purpose that I'm doing. This is what I'm on. This is my mission. I've done it. What now? And then it's like, okay, what now? But I'm a, am I a bad person for doing that? Blah, blah, like. And there's there's loads of moments that we'll come into about we'll we'll go into about them not hitting um the capital of Tokyo and stuff like that. Um yeah, like flipping for me, it just felt like the last hour, especially the kind of twist with um Robert Downey Jr.'s character, was so needed, man. Like it I think it explained a lot of the parts that for me were missing. Like it like put the pieces into a puzzle that was like I could see the image. But it's like this, they they were like scattered all over and it just literally pieced it all together to complete it for me. That's what it was like. Um, so yeah, great film, man. Honest to God, like 10 out of 10, I think. I'd kind of want to, Scully, I'd like you to kind of talk more about kind of like that final hour. Because I know once we walked out of the BFI, we were talking for a long time about it. Like when we kind of sat down for lunch and stuff as well. And I know you felt that that final hour was still kind of missing something. Yeah, I don't think the film, I want to preface it by saying I don't think the film was bad at any point. I think it is still undoubtedly in the top three films I've watched this year, Barbie being the other one and Across the Spider-Verse being the other one as well. I think it 100% is in the mix there. But I do feel that although Oppenheimer never officially apologised for the bomb, he did also express remorse through his life. And... Although I don't believe a film always has to hand hold you to to its conclusion, like you should be able to to pick out and understand. Like I think we all watched it and got good understanding of, okay, this did torture him and he was sad about it. But I'd still feel like it could have hammered it home. Like obviously, there's some moments after the bomb, yeah, where you know he's torching on the he's stepping on the the charred body remains and everything's flashing he's kind of like you can see that he's suffering from almost a panic attack and i feel like it 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 shows you that but because it only feels like it does it once maybe twice in that last hour it never really hammers home quite how big a decision that was and although like i said he never really fully apologized his whole life that was a massive thing that obviously he spoke about a lot and he thought that splitting the atom was an inevitable thing that scientists just had to do. 
Like, so he was never going to say, yeah, this is it. Like, I should be sorry. But he also recognized that he killed a lot of people and people that he didn't expect to die. Like, they thought, like, you know, like, the people in those cities would be, you know, in shelter. Like, they didn't think they, they would actually harm, directly harm and hit as many people as they did. And when he discovered that, him and the scientists, a lot of them were, like, they found it harrowing. And, like, I don't know. It's not that I think, I don't think it's emotionally vacant at all. But I don't think it is, I'm struggling to to find a way to enunciate it that doesn't sound patronising. I don't think it's as emotionally forthright and strong as it can be, which, by the way, I feel like was part of Nolan's point for this, right? Like, So he abandoned a lot of, like, the stunts and, like, the ambitious choreography that he does in a lot of films in place of, like, okay, I'm not a one-trick pony. I can show you that I can make a film that is amazing, but that relies on the acting ability as opposed to doing loads of cool flips and people travelling yeah. backwards in time and people floating up and down walls. And I do think he did it, but it still wasn't necessarily, you know, it didn't reach it in totality for me. But that's, like I said, I still think it's like an 8.9 out of 10, maybe 9.1. Like it's a quality film. Jude, go on. You're on mute if you're speaking. Oh, my bad, <laughs> my my microphone. Um, I actually agreed with you, like in terms of the hammering home point, even though I do like rate it that much higher, I would probably even give it it's high praise, but maybe a 9.5 out of 10. Like that's how almost perfect I, I feel like the film is. But in a sense of hammering home the point of the emotional toll, toll of like this, this event that has occurred, and even the impacts like it had on like the the Japanese people, and the wider world, it didn't really show that. And I kind of see this as like films now they don't want to really expose the horror of the situations. They want to look at these events and interpret it in like new ways and he'd done this heavy through like the dialogue the very intense like scenes with like Gary Oldman and Casey Affleck as like Truman and Pash respectively like, I thought these were some like the most intense scenes in the whole film and it really kind of hammered home like the weight of the situations and the powerlessness of Oppenheimer when it really came up to the situation that he was in. He only really played like a, a role in order to get what the nation ultimately, or the powers leading the nation ultimately wanted. And yeah, even though it really kind of, it shows like the bio, like the biographic nature of him. I feel like there was some other things they could have done to maybe express that, but I wasn't mad of what they actually ended up doing. And Russ, what were you going to say? It's kind of that interesting point because I remember Scully and I were talking as we were crossing the bridge, and I said because I know some of the, some it's not necessarily criticism, but some people had kind of said that obviously you're lacking that Japanese perspective kind of throughout, and obviously for this particular film and this particular story, it makes sense because I feel like if Nolan was to kind of try and also include that perspective, 
essentially what you'd probably end up doing is just having to introduce essentially a handful of characters which only have an intention to probably just die and yeah, die yeah. gruesomely. So I think it's I think it's the right choice that he didn't do it for the subject matter at hand. Um, and also, like, I was saying, if you were going to do it, it'd be interesting if you did it in a way like Clint Eastwood did, for example, with, like his kind of war movies, when he did Flags of Our Fathers and then he did Sands of Iwo Jima. You know, you take the American perspective first, which some people criticise because they said it's not balanced, but then suddenly, oh, well, actually, here is the perspective from the Japanese. And you kind of get that full rounded picture, but each kind of side is given kind of like full attention and kind of like, you know, a full running time's worth of story and kind of, I guess, investigation. So I I think for something like this, yeah, it's three hours long and potentially you can make the argument maybe some of that was in there. Um, I I will say that I am surprised that at no point did we see any of the visuals, for example, even like when he's in that meeting and they're talking about the effects of the bomb and it's just... Killian Murphy's obviously reaction as Oppenheimer to the slideshow, but you never see the slides. That did surprise me. I thought maybe they would have something there so you see it, even if it was just like glimpses, or if you're like, you know, Nolan, when he's talking about like the, um, he's talking kind of like about, you know, like the particles and he's talking about chain reactions and you're having these like graphics appear on the screen. Maybe if it was something like that, very quick cut, so you're not seeing images for like full seconds, but just quick flashes here and there i am surprised that that didn't happen but again i also think that's the right decision because it would take away from the story that he's trying to tell in that regard and actually i think he does kind of get the power from actually you're seeing that reaction you're seeing how the story unfolds and you know the use of editing and sound um later on to kind of get that feeling of anxiety and actually regret coming through but I would kind of, you know, would be interested to see perhaps Nolan take on something more from a Japanese perspective in that regard. But I also think that there's lots of kind of film and media out there that tackles that subject matter effectively already. What what I will say is, is um, that last hour I think is amazing as like a political thriller. I like the way that storyline unfolds, folds, and here you find out is, I guess, the antagonist in a film that is actually about rich, powerful men killing and committing, like, kind of large scale genocide. But it's weird to frame one as a protagonist and the antagonist. But I guess that's also the problem. I guess I know that Oppenheimer is not meant to be seen as a hero in this film but it almost does feel like it frames him as the hero. And that last hour, they could have done more to talk about how Oppenheimer campaigned like against the use of atomic power and how like when he found out the medical events, he was like, medical effects, he was like basically harrowed by it. And he was like, this is crazy. I can't believe he did this and all of this. But that last hour focuses in so much on him being quote unquote snake, well not quote, because they don't say that but him being snaked by his boys and him like having that techie relationship with Strauss and losing his position in government or, or at least not government but like the atomic governing body and all of these type of things like it basically it basically frames him as a victim of his own success slash genius in the last hour which like I understand but it's like there was actual victims like do you get it like i don't know how to, I, I hope that made sense like it's, it's not that i have a problem with the film but i just feel like in that last hour there is that massive traumatizing moment he appears to be incredibly traumatized you feel like 
you're going to get into at least 20, 30 minutes of them going into that. But instead, it's kind of like, woe is Oppenheimer. His life was bare hard after he did that. And it's like, yeah, it was hard. But let's talk about how it was hard for him because he felt really bad that he did that. Not just because his boys were like, I'm going to make a bigger bomb. And another boy was like, yeah, you can't make any more atomic bombs. Like, there were probably worse than other things he was going through. Like, the fuck? Go on, dude. Once again, you are muted. Yeah, no. If you do that again, you time out. It's this microphone. I'm so sorry. I need new headphones. It's like, they're very sensitive. But, um... You need a mic. Yeah. That's what you need. I totally, I totally agree with you, Scully, in a sense that it's very, it's very grey in a moral sense, like, and it kind of pictures him as, as a hero. But this is why the film for me is such a, this is why I'm so invested in the moral aspect of the film. And um, maybe it's like my background in philosophy or whatever, but the way I see m- morality is, it's a situation that kind of evolves and changes situationally, like morals and what's good and bad can change literally on the next road in a different type of situation. And it's all really dependent on, yeah, what is actually going on. And in this situation, I was looking at it like, well, Oppenheimer is a communist he has certain principles where he's trying to work by, but he's also working for the government who are trying to make weapons through his science, weapons that are, is probably going to do like a lot of evil and a lot of bad. But then again, when you consider in the context of Japan at the time and the, like the, the empire and the, uh, their, their wars with like the Chinese and the subjugation of like Chinese and Chinese people and a lot of like the concentration camps and and whatnot, like they were also bad. They were also like allies of the Nazis. And yeah, there's just so many moral gray areas where you could compare all the situations, but at the end of the day, innocents are, are innocents. And then when you look at it from that perspective, you actually, yeah, you, you feel something for the people that are dragged into this, but it's it's just so it's 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 a hard thing to to settle on, and that's why in the, in this this whole film, I feel like there's no one you could clearly side with. It comes down to the actual conversation that they're trying to have, which for me makes that last hour so much more powerful. It's also kind of like I guess you talk, you know kind of about the shades of grey and like the ethical kind of nature of all. Part of it is the fact that the reason why he's so invested in doing it is because he's Jewish and he wants to use it on Hitler. He wants to use it on Germany, you know? And there's also kind of, even that kind of aspect of it is, you know, he says like, you know, look what they're doing to our people. But then even at the very start of the film, he kind of doesn't really acknowledge fully kind of his Jewishness because David Cromwell's they're having that conversation, aren't they? And they, they're saying, how did you learn kind of like, you know, a lifetime's worth of Dutch in like three weeks? 
and then he doesn't know Yiddish and they're kind of having that back and forth. And actually it's like, he doesn't really potentially kind of his identity throughout, like he's kind of got leftist kind of sympathies. He's supporting Spanish civil war. He has interest in what kind of the, you know, the discussions within the communist party they have, but he's never kind of fully invested in it. And likewise, you know, he's kind of suddenly saying we need to use this on Hitler and, and Nazi Germany because of what they're doing to the Jews. But then there's this whole thing of actually, he's not necessarily engaging fully with that identity. But then I also kind of think, especially when it kind of comes that Hitler's dead and he's still pushing it for it to be used, there's a couple of things that I kind of think is one is that he's a scientist. He wants to see it through to completion because that's just what it is. You know, the whole thing, what does he keep saying throughout? It's like, what do you expect from theory alone? There must be an, uh, just a sense of urgency and desire at that point to know, even though the target they'd really want to use it on is gone, he wants to see if it works. You know, he needs to see the theory in action. He wants to know it's working. Um, and also, like, I kind of think he's even aware of the fact that, you know, he could be, a, like, what he's doing is could make him a villain. Because, you know, I think, is it the conversation, like, he's having with, like, I think maybe, like, Einstein at the time? And they're kind of saying, he says, like, um, you know, opinions change. You know, what people will say is heroic now. To, in 20 years' time, they might look back and say it's barbaric. And I think he's kind of aware to that. It's only obviously once he knows it's used. And actually, that's kind of the other thing that's interesting is once that Trinity test happens, then it cuts, you know, it does the black fade out and then it cuts straight to him outside the kind of, you know, in Los Alamos waiting for kind of groves to come up. And he says, like, what happens next? And he's cut off. And you get the opinion that the US Army are like, okay, great. If you need to know, we'll let you know. And he's, his job is done. And that's where he, you start to get that anxiety from him because he's kind of thinking, this is no longer theory. We've proven it, and now it's out of my hands, and actually he's aware of what's going to happen. And I think that's kind of where it starts to ramp up and where that final hour really kicks in. I think the best thing it does is portray the sense of calling you get. Yeah, And this is going to sound super pretentious and super... I don't know, convoluted because it's it's a really hard feeling to verbalize. But the film does an amazing job of portraying it from the first minute where he sees the atoms crashing and he can like hear them. And like, I don't know how to explain it yet. But sometimes in life, there's certain moments that call you, right? Like there's certain things that call you. Like sometimes like you might be in a studio and you can hear some music and you feel like I want to make this music. Or you can you get the idea or something you want to write, but you don't know how you're going to like write it in totality. Like, things like this. And it did a really good job of portraying the calling of science like art. Because to some people, yeah. they are a mix of both. And I think, I think, yeah, he did feel like he had to make it. And like I said, my main issue was that once it was built and it was done, it also did too good of a job of making us sympathize with him and be like damn that must have been so hard on you Robert Oppenheimer like it must have been so hard on you to build that bomb like when also 50% of it should have been like you got that triumphant moment and you should feel you should feel more I don't know I, I feel like I should walk out of that film and not like him as much as I do but do you think, but then it's, this is the interesting thing, like, and I go back to that line where he says, you know, like, opinions will change, you know. And I think it's weird because, yeah, I came out and I felt like I could empathise with him 
But then I'm thinking, like, if that was, if you, we were living in that time, you'd think, God, that is an important decision. And you, maybe you would think at the time, we ha- they had no other choice. We have no other choice but to do this. And actually, he is a hero. But you can reflect over time and look back on hindsight and say, actually, this is probably the worst thing that's ever happened. Um, but yeah, like, it, no, but I think that's one of the things I think I admire most about the film as well having seen it twice is the fact that like both times actually it's it hits home even more the fact like actually this is really complicated and you are meant to come out feeling a little bit conflicted because you you know this is a horrible thing you know this can literally destroy the world um but at the same time like i kind of get it like and i do feel a bit sorry for him and actually maybe in the scheme of things he is one of the most important people, if not the most important person who's ever lived. And it's, and it's strange, you know, and I think sometimes that's kind of hard to reconcile with. Um, I'm going to disagree with the point of they had to do it only because the war was won. <laughs> like, for me, it it felt like, and stop me if you, you guys think I'm wrong, but like, it felt like the man is down and then they just went, yeah, let me just bang. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's what it felt, that's guess, what it felt like. And even, go on, sorry, I was gone. No, no, but I was, I was going to say like, although Hitler's dead, I guess like they kind of make that point in the film though, don't they? Like when they're yeah, talking that's about what, where that, to bomb the Japanese. That's, that's, that's because they're I'm saying, saying, yeah, but they're kind of, I guess the point they make, and I guess, you know, I can't say if this is true or not, but I guess like from, you know, the history books, the point was, especially from like, I guess the American military was, if you're a soldier, go, you know, going, having to go into battle, they're not going to give up. You know, it might look on the yeah. paper from kind of like a strategic and analyst point that maybe they're weak and maybe yeah. it is over. But I guess if you're going to go in, potentially going to die, you want to know that it's definitely going to be done. And no, I think that's where that kind of conflict kind of comes through. 100%. And I, and I, I feel like... That. Maybe- I agree with that. Sorry, I was going to say, I feel like probably probably like it's easier. Like, obviously, it's all happened now. Like, do you know what I mean? So it's probably easier for, for me saying, oh, yeah, like they didn't need to do that. Like, they were Terence Crawford, they were beating up Errol Spence. And then they literally just not, like, the ref didn't come in. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that It's easy for me to say that now. But obviously, I'm watching a film. I weren't in the trenches like them, man. But like when they said like, yeah, Hitler's dead. Like, and he's like, oh, so we, we don't need, and he was like, no, 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 we need to. And I was thinking, okay, you just, you just rubbing salt in the wounds. Like that's all, that's all it seemed to me. Um, and another thing as well, probably like maybe, I don't know whether it's from like a government, like a government thing, like the bombs have been made now. What? We're not going to use it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No, I think, could I just add, I think there was two, two reasons. I think, um, one was the nature of the Japanese soldiers and the, the government. They didn't want to, to necessarily give up in that way. And secondly, it was also to flex and show because by that, by that time, America also didn't entirely want to show all of their hands in the war. They were doing some things where they weren't trying to entirely join the war efforts because they didn't want to help some people who were potentially political rivals like the Soviet Union. So heading into the Cold War, which basically started immediately after the Second World War, um, they wanted to win that race, win that arms race, 
and be like, yeah, we have this and we're capable of using them and we've made multiple of these. We're the largest superpower or military power in the world. And by showing that, they basically started the, the Cold War. And that's why, again, with that last hour of the film, is such a concentration on his communist affairs. And earlier, I have to kind of correct myself. I said he's a communist. No, that was wrong. That he's just like very left-leaning, as Ross said. But yeah, it was literally because of those ties that it became like such an such an issue for him. Or they, or rather, they used that as an excuse to kind of get him out of here with his moral arguments for not making more of these type of warheads. I feel like I feel like um, yeah. The Japanese government might not have wanted to give up, but I think to your earlier point, Russell, when you speak about like he wanted to complete that bomb because he knew that if he didn't make it, scientists over there might make it and it could be used against them. And if Hitler wins, you know, things go topsy-turvy. Even though it depicted him as left-leaning and showed that like, you know, right-wing th- thinking was still quite dominant in America, it never... And this isn't a slight about it because it's not something that I, I mark it down for. This is not a criticism of it. But one thing that wasn't explored enough, again, not criticism, is the fact that like um when we discuss World War Two, we are so quick to talk about the transgressions of Germany, which are numerous and we're supposed to, but we don't talk about why the Cold War started immediately after, like you said, Jude, and what was actually going on with America and their foreign policy and their actual refusal to join the war at first, and then when they actually did join the war, and what Churchill was also doing in World War Two, like it was actually a whole heap of fuckery. And even though Hitler was very much in the wrong for what he was doing in Nazi Germany, we don't talk about what England and America were actually also trying to do with their foreign policy and how it was a power struggle because they both thought they should be the top dog, right? So it's like, yeah, he made that bomb because he wanted it to be where the place where he had had the weapon. But the whole thing about, like, we can't let Russia have it because even though Russia are the allies, we know that as soon as this war's done, we got to slap it on them. And if we don't have it, they can slap it on us. And we don't want that because we need to be rulers of the roost. And even, again, it's like, it's a, it's a tangible. When you look into the way Churchill treated India immediately after the war slash during and led them into a famine that killed nearly as many people as as the German forces. Like it's it's a shame that I I hope people do some research after watching that film and learn about because again a strength of the film and to uplift the film is it showed how that grey area is and that it's not just black and white and just because America were on the side of like let's say winning the war it doesn't mean that they were the quote-unquote good guys which is a huge strength of it gg on mute again you fucking idiot no this time it was actually the app damn i'm sorry yeah i need to i need a timeout i need a timeout i don't know what's going on I'm yeah fuck you fuck you fuck but that winston um, that winston churchill film is coming. It's going to be as big as in Oppenheimer, or rather should be, you know, because, yeah, as Scully said. We've already had it. 
The Winston Churchill film. Oh, really? We had we Darkest Hour. We need another one, man. But yeah, from we, the perspective we, of the actual Indian people, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, from the ground up, like, because, yeah, like, these type of films, I feel like that is the power of them to spark a conversation, to show uh, a livelihood that we haven't really un- entirely understood. And I don't think we've had, well, we've had Einstein, but we haven't had like astrophysicists pictured in this in this way before. So yeah, it's been really interesting for me. Okay, um, kind of just final points then. Obviously, I know we spoke a lot about the last hour, um, but like I want to talk about the actual like bomb, like them building it and how long it took and kind of the struggles they had. I think it was great, great to see um, in a way. Like, it was like, oh, this is how they did it. This is what they did. This is who they brought in. Um, Matt Damon's character as well. Um, it then built like, but then building the town and stuff like that. Matt Damon's character is probably my favourite character in the whole film. Um, just because of how serious he was. But yet, like funny, like the like the... The comedy within the film is great and all the comedy comes from him. Um, and I don't really like Matt Damon as an actor. Like, that's a lie. I like the Bourne trilogy. I like The Martian. I like Goodwill Hunting. I do like Matt Damon. He's, he's okay. He's, um, he's, he's phenomenal. <laughs> that is the quickest turn around. <laughs> yeah, no, no. No, like, like I did, I did deep. I was like, no, nah, he's, he's definitely he's a great, like, he's one of my favourites in it. Um, he's but, a Hall of Famer. I don't think anyone could really, if you look at his CV, there will be one or two films you like. There's no way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, back to back to him, like um, yeah, man, everything they did, like in terms of, as I said, like building the town and stuff like that, it was it was very insightful. Um and very great to see like that he was like, Oh, you know, no one's gonna leave their families for two years. Okay, we'll just we'll just bring we'll just we'll just bring them here. Do you know what I mean? Like, hey, ain't no problem, ain't no problem. Um and yeah. And shout out to Florence Pugh, man. Um, she had my Pugh, she had my favorite scene in the whole film, um, where Oppenheimer is getting interrogated, and then like the camera pans, and he's got no clothes on, and the wife's looking at him, and then she's just riding, um, you know, giving him that Sloppenheimer. Yeah, giving him that Sloppenheimer. <laughs> you get me? So yeah. Shout out to Florence Pugh, who I always get confused for Maggie Gyllenhaal. I was in the film and I was like, oh yeah, this is that Maggie Gyllenhaal is good, man. She looks young. And I, I come out and I was like, that what Ma- Maggie Gyllenhaal? Maggie Gyllenhaal is old now. So yeah, it's always a common thing I do. But yeah, go on, Ross. I think it's like, you know, it's kind of interesting that you talk about, obviously, like when they're building like the, like Los Alamos and stuff. And they, you'll say like people won't come without their families and the wives and things like that. One of the criticisms that Chris Nolan normally gets is the fact that he kind of either underwrites or kind of underplays kind of female characters. And even though I think Oppenheimer is his best film, I think I think it's perfect. You know, I can agree at the same time that even within this, there's still that sort of element of actually Florence Pugh, Emily Blunt. They're almost sidelined a little bit, you know. They kind of have their sort of kind of important scenes, and they're brought in, but then it's almost like they're kind of cast aside. And especially when they come to Los Alamos, you get Emily Blunt in a few scenes, kind of being a bit drunken and looking a little bit crazy. 
and kind of just struggling with the stress of the kids and obviously the situation. But she doesn't really kind of get her proper shining moment until obviously like that courtroom interrogation towards the end, which is great. Mm. But I kind of do agree that even then, and maybe again, it just comes down to the story. It's more about specifically Oppenheimer, but I would have expected and maybe liked to have seen a bit more of the interplay between him and those characters. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely agree. I do think they could have shown more, but I would say the layout and maybe it was because of like the breakdown of the different perspectives, but the layout of the entirety of the film had me caught in such a way that I just really liked and appreciated the interjections that they got. So whether it was just like one particular scene, like Casey, mm. Casey um, Affleck's scene or um, Gary Oldman's, it really left an impression that it just carried, it stayed with me for the entirety of the film. And I feel like that's rare to do with a three hour kind of project like sometimes some things will go missing but the way it's built up and edited and put together it really yeah it really makes like a a lasting impact and last comment I was going to make was Emily Blunt I I felt like her interjections were very powerful and I do think that Mm. is potentially an award winning performance and she was she was going so crazy there was moments it felt like she was my wife (laughs) it felt like I was being shouted at like she yeah man she's like a stunning actress and yeah man I think she really she brought something to the table man she would definitely get a supporting actress lock I think I think she's definitely going to be in the nominations there which kind of makes me think actually I mean I guess we all think Killian Murphy has to kind of be a lock for a nomination for best actor Mm. Downey Jr is probably the most obvious lock for a supporting actor. I think not only because obviously he's really good in this, and actually he kind of does that really kind of like slightly sinister slime ball character really well. Um, but also I think it's like a legacy thing. You know, here's a guy who's been around for kind of decades and decades yep. who probably hasn't had his flowers. They're going to give him at least, he's a lock. He's Maybe he won't win, but he's definitely kind of going to be in the running. I mean, is, is there anyone else who you First, think should be in there. Firstly, Ross, hold on. Robert Downey Jr. Listen, before the film dropped, I said to Scully, is Robert Downey Jr. typecasted? You know, he's done, film like, he's done films like Zodiac. Then he had Tropic Thunder. You know, had a long tail as Iron Man, had a long tenured venture as Iron Man. You know, killed that. But yeah, I was in this and I thought, mm, he, he surprised me. He, not surprised me because I knew he could act. But Robert Downey Jr., amazing, amazing performance. Anyway, Scotty carry on. What are you going to say? Big up RDJ. But um, yeah, I was just going to say that to the point of the women almost being sidelined and like not really ever taking like a super focal spot i still think in their lives they managed to convey really important things about him and like the way his wife dealt with stuff and held loyalty to him and the way he was convinced by um i've forgotten her name now joe is it joe who into communism and gene like gene. gene sorry that that, gene poly- that part of her which was he was already interested in, but he decided to take more note to. 
Like, I think both women did an amazing job in that. And plus, he he's just like every ordinary man, man. He lost his mind for some BPD pussy. I'd I hear say, it. You know, I'd lose my mind for Emily Blunster, I can't lie. And then he lost his mind again for... I'd lose, my mi- I, I'd lose my mind for Florence Pugh for like 10 minutes. But yeah. I'm going to censor that just in case, by the way. Why? <laughs> Dr. Dr. Umar, you got to understand. Ross, I don't know, it? Ross just looks, Ross looks outraged and or shocked. <laughs> Listen, I, I, everyone knows I'm the, I'm the resident um, prick on this podcast. Resident wronging on this podcast. That is not that's not a good claim. It's what it is. Well yeah. Um what what else is there to talk about? Can we actually talk about very quickly actually? Like, um oh what's the part of the film that I wanted to mention? I really fucking forgot. It's gonna come back to me. It's gonna come back to me. I was I was gonna talk about it. Oh, that's it. Um the timeline, man, like, did we have, we've obviously all got it now, but I remember when we was in the cinema, so Scully said like, oh, is this being shown on TV? And I thought, it could be. And then, but when I first watched it, like, it took me about 15 minutes to get what was going on um, and where it was, because... Yeah, can I, I just say... Go on. You and I think Jude mocked that take, by the way. Like, when I was watching it, I was like, is this is this being shown on TV? And then no, nah, because I thought that was dumb. In it, I thought that was dumb. No, no, oh, yeah. I didn't. I didn't say. I didn't say. Um, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't blast it. I just I thought it was just yeah. different bless, perspectives. Bless yeah, I didn't blast they it. They hate and then they appreciate Ross. Bro, I I didn't say. I remember you said that, but I didn't say shit because I just thought, yeah, this is just clearly another Nolan like he's piecing together different kind of kind of how like but Inception is a type of film but you know what I mean Inception was kind of layered like that yeah he done way. it like Memento in it so yeah, um, but he did it like in reverse well. he so, loves doing it he loves he loves yeah. breaking up his films free time and I, I enjoy that when I when I fully understood it is when um because obviously, like I said, 15 minutes, I was like, what's going on? Like, I tried to grasp what was going on. And then when I fully understood it is when Florence Pugh, again, they were in the interview room, and it was in the the, the present-day interview room, but it was, um, or is that Emily Blunt? The, the, the main wife, I can't remember. Um, it was in the um, interview room, and it was from her perspective, but it was in gray, uh, black, and, black and white. And I was like, oh, when it's not talking about Oppenheimer, it's like this, but when it's talking about him, excluding this room, it's all in colour. So that made, that just made sense to me. That's why all of Robert Downey Jr.'s scenes obviously were in black and yeah. white, um, apart from the ones where he was with Oppenheimer. Um, yeah, so it all made sense to me, like, I think probably about 40 minutes in. Um, but I did kind of grasp what was going on 15 minutes in. What did you think of that like kind of timeline, like the subjective and objective or whatever it was um, thing that he did there? Just one point each on that. I thought it was I thought it was sick because the way I was seeing it and how I eventually clocked it was just by the dialogue and the implications the implications of how they spoke about Oppenheimer, because as you said, um with like 
I think there was even two tones of like black and white, wasn't there? There was like two different shades of nah, it. Nah, it was, yeah, I was going to speak about that, but it wasn't black and white. It was more like, it was black and white in the present slash mm-hmm. the televised court case slash other things. And then yeah. the, the, the grading, like it got more and more colourful the further back in the past it went. Which yeah. Like. Yeah, no, that was interesting. But what I was even going to say about that is... There's certain scenes where you can clock like it's, it's different, especially in that first like, 10, 15 minutes by how they're reacting to Oppenheimer. So there was a, a scene where like Strauss is just slating him. There's a scene where everyone seems to be kind of praising him and he seems to be like his, in his element, like he's wearing his, he's wearing like his, um, what has become his style. And I think he was talking to Einstein and then you weren't entirely sure if Einstein was on his side or not, but it was like by the conversation he had, it was just like, yeah, he's just completed the the atom bomb. They've just like been through it, but he still hasn't like, yeah, he still hasn't like got in his element yet, or he hasn't, the moral weight hasn't like imposed on him yet. There's just like that slight moment. But yeah, that's that's what I got from it. I thought it was a v- very good way to show like the different kind of reactions and the different interpretations of how he felt because in Strauss's mind, Strauss was looking at it like this guy was full of himself. This guy wanted to to drop the bomb. He was like egotistical and even in ways like some of the shots, like the background shots of how Oppenheimer was standing, he looked like kind of full of himself where in the color shots and it was very kind of like focusing on his face you could see like he was worn down and he was much more he felt like a weakling actually it felt like he was overwhelmed like even the scenes where he's talking about like his um what you call it talking about his studies the fact that he didn't really complete much like lab work he wasn't like the best of students he just had like the most fascinating ideas so yeah, it was just the multi-layered perspectives that really kept me going, and that's why I appreciate the breakdown of the film. I think that kind of like that shifting in between color and black and white is also kind of like it's you know it gives you the obviously kind of that objective subjective kind of uh, presentation and analysis pretty well. But I think it's actually probably the it's really most effective when you kind of you start to see scenes. Sorry, I don't know what you's doing. <laughs> it's locks. It's it's locks. I had to keep patting uh, down. Gotcha. It's the itch underneath. But um, I think it's like you know, it's most effective when you get the exact same scene, but kind of in color in black and white. You know, and that's sort of like when obviously like Strauss comes in, and they, you know, it's the bit where they think that Russia's got kind of like um a hydrogen bomb, maybe because they're starting to see kind of like obviously kind of like on the charts that actually the radiation's coming through and you're seeing those scenes in black and white and then in color and you know that kind of real divide between the kind of the two and i think the other kind of really good example is like when um when stross is kind of first kind of like testifying and he's talking about isotopes and he's saying like oh, we should kind of export these and all sorts and then kind of he gets really shot down by oppenheimer and oppenheimer kind of basically absolutely mugs him off it's again it's just a very kind of subtle way because i think you know you look at kind of that black and white initially kind of Danny jr plays it off a little bit and he's like oh you know you you roll with the punches he's not you know 
he's not an easy guy to work with, but then you kind of switch to colour and actually he's seeding and you start to kind of see the seeds of that kind of, I guess, betrayal and that sort of rivalry sort of kind of grown intensify. And also, like, it's, it, I get some, you know, first time viewing it, at times it can be slightly tricky, but, like, you know, you go back that second time and you kind of, it makes a lot more sense, you know. And I think at the very start, you know, uh, Nolan puts the kind of the title cards, like you've got the fusion and the fission, I think it is. I think it's like Killian Murphy scenes yeah, yeah. in colour of fusion, black and white fission. I think, I think, yeah, I like the time aspects of it. I just think it is a well done film. I like that he tried to do something different. And I understand that there is, it's quite interesting that with Nolan films, there is going to be a lot of people who, like me, like the really ambitious futuristic science stuff. I like the science that hasn't been done, but we're looking to do, like Tenant, and like, which is also a film about quantum mechanics, but from the other end and then there are people who are gonna like the Oppenheimer about the science that we have done that where there's not as much it's not as much as stunt heavy but it is talking about like history and it's and relies on it's acting like it's it's cool that he can do both sides of it and they can both be amazing films but on that note what is everyone's favorite Nolan Obviously I was just about to I was just about says. to say this can we just what just one word answer quickly where does everyone rank this in his? So Russ is first. Where does everyone rank this in his discog, or film, 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 filmog, filmog, filmog? Sorry. So Russ is his first. Is it first, Russ? Yeah, yeah. No, I think this is his best thing. Okay. You say discog. I'm going to make one other point because um, obviously I, I can't really explain. You know, any other kind of what I think would be my best Nolan. Um, the score for this. I kind of think that actually Ludwig um, Goransson is probably better than Hans Zimmer for Nolan. I think I think this score is incredible. By the way, I didn't. Yeah. I think he is a better fit for Nolan, and that's going to be my hot take. So rather, Oppenheimer, I think is Nolan's best film. But I'm also going to say I think that this is probably the, one of the best scores, if not the best score, that he's kind of had for a film as well. And actually, Ludwig uh, Goransson is probably a better fit for Nolan and his star. That is incredible. Cool. So, um, Jude, where did you I'm rank it? Um, I think it, that it that spun me because I put it top two. Top and, two, um, okay. Inter- cool, cool, cool. Interstellar is okay. my one. Okay, oh. cool. Scully, where did you put it? Number four. I put it number four as well. Now I was going to say... Right, both of you, both what the well, three above. Okay, uh, Scully, go first. Me, for me, and obviously people are going to hear this and be like, boo, but I don't give a fuck. Word to Uncle Rick, yeah, or Granddad Rick, I don't give a fuck about what makes you boo because I've seen what makes you cheer. Tenet is number one for me. Um, uh, You know what, Scully, I hear it. I hear it. It's not in my my top three, but I do hear it. I do hear it, and it's just... Because he, like, like I said, I'm really into... Like I said... The parts that I really enjoyed about Oppenheimer was the sciencey bits, and I'm like, that's a thing. It's a world that I don't get to work in because it's not my my field of career, but I'm really interested in. And I'm like, there's a type of books I like to read about, like, and he's managed to make a really complex quantum mechanic time film, really simple and really interesting and really fun and really cool. So I just think it's fucking great. Like, and he's managed to make a timeless paradox 
a great film. Like it's such a simple, it's a simple line that becomes a complex film for a complex theory that becomes a simple film. I think that's sick. And then I'd say, um, for me personally, it's Inception. And okay. then it's, if I have to be objective, it'll be Interstellar, then it'll be Oppenheimer. Okay. But if I was just going to keep being subjective, I'd push them two down for The Dark Knight. But I also know that <laughs> The Dark Knight is not as good as MT film, so I'm going to be sensible. Okay. Well, mine, first, my film is Memento. I love Memento. Great I feel film, like I, I feel like Memento's, I'm on the wiki, I'm on the wiki now. I just need to see the budget. The budget was five to nine million. Make him re-release that with a budget of, let's say, 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's over. It's over. Matting. It is the, it's the, it's his even, best, even you it's could greatest film. Prestige, man. Well, there we go. Um, number two is The Dark Knight. And number three is The Prestige. And then I'd have Happy. Then I'd have Tenet Fifth. So I, 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 I do hear it. Like, for me, look, man, I'm going to get onto me. I didn't like Interstellar only because I just didn't get it. And it's and I always say to people, it's fine not to understand things, isn't it? Do you get me? I'm not being ignorant I do to think the fact that I don't understand it. I feel like with Interstellar and a little bit Oppenheimer, even though I really like Oppenheimer, there are films that like, I, like, I don't know how to explain it, but like, let's use Nas, like his music as an example. Yeah, you're supposed mm. to like it because it's supposed to be clever. Do you get it? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, you're supposed to like it because it's an art piece. You know what? I do yeah. think I do get it because I do think the acting and all of the things like the score and the things around them are actually impressive. But... Yeah. Jude, so you said you put it second. What would come first for you? Well, I would I would have it rotating first and second with Interstellar. And okay. to further Ross's point on um, Luna maybe being a better fit for Nolan than Hans. <laughs> The reason why Interstellar is really up there is because of the score for me. Mm-hmm. Like the score is magnificent alongside the film and everything that that film accomplishes, accomplishes and achieves. And I think Interstellar and I would even say Oppenheimer, they're not films that are meant to be understood to a point of you understand the science like in every single way. Like I don't think this is a film that um, the physicists are going to go to and be like, hmm, I'm here for the science of everything and to understand it. I think these are films Agreed. that you should feel much more than you should understand. And the, the one mm-hmm. other film I compared Oppenheimer to before I even saw it was like The Imitation Game. And that's another film that you don't entirely have to it's understand. A brilliant film. Mathematics to every like extent. Film. Yeah, I love that film. But I think so, feeling yeah, is I think important. I definitely feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do, do you know what? Do you know what? Do you know? What I feel like ruined Interstellar for me a bit. I don't. I know it's gonna be mad, but I don't like. I mm-hmm. I hate when I watch a film that is somewhat similar. The Martian, the Matt Damon one, is very. It's very. It's very kind of similar to it. Bro, Interstellar came up before. No, I not. I didn't watch yeah. Interstellar. I didn't watch Interstellar like first. So you can't. So that argument just no, falls. But I'm. Sa- but I yes. But I'm saying how I watched. It. I watched The Martian first. Yeah, and I watched yeah. Interstellar. Do you get me? So I'm just saying what I watched first. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter what came out first. I I like it. It just is what it is. How my brain works. I'm sorry. Do you get me? Like, I think it's interesting you find them similar because I don't think they're that similar at they're all. Not, they're really. not similar oh, at all for me, no. Oh, Apart from they're being not. in space. They're, 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 they're so not. They're a bit similar. 
You might as I well would, slap Prometheus in that and say they're all the same. Chill out. Chill Prometheus out. is the most underrated of the alien films. We are going down a dark road. We are going down a dark road. Prometheus is literally okay. one of the best turn, of the we, alien we films. Well, when, when, I want when that on record. When, when I want that on the, the record. When we have the alien episode, I'll skip that episode because I don't watch horrors. Um, but... Um, okay, so not all movie? alien films are horrors. What is what going on here? Listen, my uncle. No, no, no. Hold on. My uncle worked in a London cinema. I can't remember which cinema it was, but he told me when the premiere of like Alien happened in like the eighties or whenever it dropped, he said there was literally sick all in the aisles. He said so. I, from that, I was like, yeah, no, no, no. I'm never watching it. I'm never watching it. <laughs> no, that's just crazy, man. So no, that's what he said. I can't remember what cinema it was. I think it was Leicester Square. But he said literally he had, there was there was sick like in every single like bro like all on the stairs and that like, he said it was horrible. Have you ever watched The Exorcist? Are you mad? I'm black, bro. Don't, we don't watch them films. No, no, no. My Christian mum would definitely not allow me to watch that. Jesus Christ! <laughs> if I turned to Janet and I said, "Oh, Janet, watch The Exorcist," right. I only watched The Exorcist. I only watched it because it's a classic film. Like I took yeah. ages to watch it. Yeah, I don't, I'm not even sure if I finished it. Ross, my mum, my mum argued with my older sister about taking me to watch Harry Potter. Like, bro, it weren't, it weren't, no, it weren't happening. Um, we also need to have an episode, yeah, where we talk about our cultural differences in films and like what we were allowed to watch and what we weren't allowed to watch. I think that would be, it couldn't be probably a whole episode, but even just a point in conversation. A little segment. Yeah. That would be, that would be fun. That would be fun. Okay, so what's next for Nolan then? So, oh, oh, can I go first? Anything. Let's he can do whatever to, he let's wants. Let's get back to the complex oh, shit, man. Can I, can I go first? He can so literally he can do, do whatever he wants. I You know what? I want him to do I... a memento type beat. Go on. To my, a memento type beat. Like smaller production, smaller budget, super intense story, amazing actors. And just let him do his thing. Like, He's he is obsessed with quantum mechanics, yeah. So his next film is going to be about a black hole, or it's going to be about teleportation. <laughs> no man, his <laughs> next true. film. That's it. His next it. film needs to be James Bond. He needs uh, to be great. He'd be great Bond. on it. Listen, he would do he well on it. But bend it over. Oh my god, yes. The meme I used of Kermit. That's what he's. That's that's that is Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan is bending over backwards, beauty hole all open for doing on the show now. Thank you so much. See, when you spoke about Prometheus, I told you we were going down a dark road. Listen, 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 listen. Yeah, listen. I didn't realise Prometheus was going to talk about CJ, you know, going to lead to CJ talking about Nolan's ass being No, gay. I'm just, no, I, no, I, no, because I put that, I put that Kermit meme in the thingy and in the no, chat. No, we know the meme, we know yes, the meme. Yes, well, bro, I'm just we doing it for when the editor, when the editor, when the editor, when, the editor um, when, when Nash edits the, the thing and, and he puts it in there. So I'm going to send it to him, like, yeah, this one. Um, and I'm going to Photoshop your face onto Kermit and you let me know. <laughs> Don't do that. You um, are bent over for Christopher no. Nolan to shove his version of James Bond inside you. <laughs> I'm not going to say what I think live on air, but um, <laughs> you, uh, anyway. CJ's anyway, just saying no comment. Anyway, CJ just came up with a no comment. Plead the fifth, plead the fifth. I plead the fifth, I plead the fifth. Listen, if wow, Christopher okay. Nolan did a James Bond trilogy, it would be fucking insane. It would like, I don't, I don't understand how people do not want this. Like, bro, if we deep it, yeah, if we deep it, without all the, without all the swings and roundabouts and X, Y, Z, Batman is basically a spy. Basically. Do you get me? 
Like, he's, 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 you see what I'm saying? So, I think that's why we don't, I wouldn't want to see it because he's, first of all, I think he's already done it. He's already done his own, basically, James Bond with Tenet. And I just think that actually, I think he'd almost be a little bit bored being confined within the worlds of James Bond and being like, actually, I can't really do anything. This is just a, this is just a normal action film. And I think actually it'd probably be it'd be good, but I also think it might be slightly diminished returns because he's I, not being able to fully kind of express himself in that kind of voice. I also know he wants to do it, so bro, you know, he wants to do it. Like I don't see why he don't do, like. It, okay, it doesn't even have to be a trilogy. It doesn't have to be. Although I think a trilogy would round off a story nice because, yeah, I feel like it would. Even if it was two films, I don't want one because we'll get the one, and I'll be like, oh, I want more, and he's never going to do another one. So I just want two, minimum two. Chris, if you're watching, that's all I need. Two James Bond films, please. I know, you want, I, know, I, know, I know you want... <laughs> he's my brethren. I know you want Tom Hardy to be James Bond because you love off Tom Hardy and all of that. But we ain't got time for Tom Hardy as James Bond. We need someone like Tom Huddleston or, do you get me? We need someone like that. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. He'd be in the dark timeline. Listen, listen. He would be so I'm, bent over I'm, right now. I'm, put, I'm putting this on wax. He would be the coldest James Bond ever. He would be yeah, because so he'd be fucking, fucking shit. Are you mad? Are you mad? Um, Are you I'm mad? Hinston. Oh, I'm, I'm James Bond. Nice to meet you. No, it's fucking suck. Are you mad, bro? No. It would be like it would be like I tell you what. You know, it's like because obviously it's like a left field, and it me saying his name. It's like when Matt Smith was like announced to the doctor. No one really liked it, but I'm telling you, bro, now, he, he would have to I'm get steroids. No, he wouldn't. He, he would have to he start. Keep, he would have he to could start keep the same slim attire. He could keep the slim attire, you know. No, keep he, the slim, he, he could keep the keep the same slim build, and he'd be fine, bro. He'd be so sick, so fucking sick. That would be my. That would be honest to God. That would be my my top for James. Listeners, we need you to get in contact and tell CJ that we ain't trying to see that shit. This is late night delusion. We all need to go to sleep because it's past midnight. CJ is talking gibberish. Damn. It's, Damn. It's just not happening. So hold on. Russ, what, what what does Nolan need to do then next? What would you like to see him do? Give, give me a genre. He's done war. He's done a biopic. What would you like to see him do? A I think just comedy? let him... I mean, I just think... The fact that the Oppenheimer is making an absolute boatload of money and basically every other movie he's ever made has made a boatload of money... They will let him do whatever he wants. I think I would like to continue to see him make these kind of stories, which he has a very kind of you know personal interest in, because I think that's where obviously he kind of works best. Um, and I think maybe within that kind of realm of like science fiction and actually kind of like thought provoking drama, I just think with a Bond, I think it'd be like, yeah, this is good, this is very good, but it's it, uh, you know I think we've seen so much of that just kind of generally. I also don't really know how he would differentiate so much between other kind of bonds that have come before and also kind of what he's already done with his own filmography. So I think I'd rather see him take kind of a more unique story that he'd either written originally or adapt, you know, kind of a more out there story that's kind of out there in the world. But yeah, Bond, if he wants to do it and he gets it, you know, I'm not going to complain. It's not like I'm not going to see it, but I do think... Yeah. I'd like to see something different. That's fair. That's fair. Scully, what do you so you said you said just keep it with the science, keep it with the nerds. Yeah, he's clearly like his films do always have personal elements, yeah. But he's clearly he likes science and he likes like when you look at um 
the prestige and when you look at uh tenet when you look at inception when you look at oppenheimer he clearly has a penchant for like engineering science science illusionism like lots of he likes complex theories and he likes to talk about them and how to make them feel and he keeps going bigger and bigger and getting more difficult so i think the next one is going to be like either a black hole or it's going to be teleportation or it's going to be like quantum phasing it's going to be something along those lines like logically that is it might not be the next film but the one after he's going to do something like that in my opinion okay jude what do you think well i uh, i agree with scully and i also agree with russ i think it's a combination of both he definitely has an appeal to science and he also has an appeal for the big encompassing idea and i feel like right now we're in a mode in society where we're looking at things in a globalization type of state and if he's looking to go big i do feel like his next film will also carry some kind of moral argument or impetus behind it and if I was to give it a topic and trying to remember some of the things that he's interested in socially, maybe it might be a type of film that is like introspective of, I don't know, society, maybe like going towards like AI and technology and the moral idea behind that. I don't think we've had like a, much of a technological dive from Nolan just as of yet. Like obviously um, stuff like Interstellar does include technology, but that even That's came a big shout though. I do think know, AI I mean, could be involved or robots. Yeah. Right? I would love to see it. I would love to see it. If Chris Nolan carry on Black Mirror Black Mirror. Go on then, Ross. Real curveball. You're gonna say a sports film a bit, yeah. No, I mean, there is a Peter Andre biopic in the works, I hear. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let's go. Let's wrap this up. 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 So if he wants to prove he's got the chops and Oi. he can turn any story into gold, I would like to see Chris Nolan's take on Peter Andre. There we go. There we, listen, I need to see a bad boy KTP in it. That's what I need to see. Leonardo right. DiCaprio. <laughs> Peter Andre. We need to bad. end this before it gets out of hand. Yeah, Idris Elba as Dwight. York. <laughs> okay, and we're going. We're going. Good night. Good we're night, good going. Night. Man said Idris Elba as the White York. Scully, you are a terrorist. I'm going. I would watch that film. That film would slap, man. Chaos. Oh my god. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote tweet that now and say Scully said Hey, 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 chill, 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 chill. Oh, Without context, it sounds crazy. Without context. The context is important, man. The context I don't care. Bad. I don't care. I might have even played in full channel, uh, played in full thing. All right. Well, on that note, yeah, it was uh, lovely to be here. Lovely to chat to you, lads. I'm really excited to watch Oppenheimer again. Really excited to watch Barbie again. Actually, I've got a friend who just went to watch both again, and they said they both get better on second viewing. And it was quite funny because they were like, they preferred Oppenheimer the first time, and they came out and now they've been like, oh no, they are very much equal, but they both improve on the second watch. 
That's right. So I'm very, I'm very excited to uh, go and watch them up again. Go run up my tweet. And if you've seen both, a shout out to Talk To Me, which is a smaller kind of like lower budget horror movie that's out this week, which yes, none of you pussy olds are going to go watch, but I will try to see because it's meant to be it. the best horror of the year so far. I was oh, meant sure. to go to the screening, but I was obviously ill. I was ill. The fact that oh, but we got the blackening soon. We got the blackening soon. You guys rolling, yeah? The blackening. What's that? Well, not not CJ. He's scared. That's, it sounds it's like a, my worst a, nightmare. Black. It's a black, uh, homedy horror. So what does the, <laughs> does the does the white person die first? In it, probably. That would be funny. I'll watch that. I'll watch that. <laughs> but yeah, that's just been real. It's been real and real and real. All right, cool. I'm going. Thanks for joining us. Oh yeah housekeeping make sure you like us on spotify and follow us and rate us and apple music wherever you listen to this podcast when follow us on x yeah yeah oh yeah follow us on x repost us on x repost us on x yeah he should do a biopic on um elon musk's life no i wouldn't from the diamond mines to wall street <laughs> that is <laughs> terrible. Um, nah, but yeah, follow us on X. Uh, follow Ugh. us on Insta. TikTok should drop this week, I think. Um, yeah, man, just keep up with us, man. Played in full, man. We're doing our best. Played in full on X. Popcorn fracker on Insta. Why haven't we changed that yet? Let's change that. Yeah, I know. We need yeah, to change but... the TikTok as well. It's going to be played in full on Instagram by the time you hear this. Yeah, we're changing that. Playing full right pod. Now. But on that note, yeah, good night. Yeah, bear love. Yeah, see you next week where we'll be discussing Mission Impossible with a very special guest who I'm not going to drop right now. And I'm not here. Sports Social Podcast Network.